This darn neighborhood collapsed again. Why won't it stay buoyant? Whoa, Kelly, what's going on? Oh, I'm just trying to get this submergible city to work. I don't understand the problem. I mean, I am an aquatic engineer and marine biologist and an astrophysicist. Oh, I didn't realize you had all those degrees. Yeah, I'm a woman. We can effortlessly do everything at once, just like society expects of us. Right, right. So you're designing a submergible city? That sounds like a pretty absurd premise. I mean, you wouldn't even see anything like that in a movie. Oh, they did it in The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you take a pause with your version and we'll do our podcast. Sounds good. I could use a break. All right, then, everyone, grab your aquatic car. And your ticker tape wristwatch. And join us as we look at James Bond here in the books. And there in the movies. Part 10. Nobody does it better. Uh, you want me to go ahead and read the synopsis, Kelly? Uh, yeah, sure. I feel like you're always having stuck with the synopsis. I'll do this. <laughs> go for it. All right. We are looking at The Spy Who Loved Me, the book first. And here is a synopsis. Vivian Michelle is in trouble. Trying to escape her tangled past, she has run away to the American backwoods, winding up at the Dreamy Pines Motor Court. A far cry from the privileged world she was born to, the motel is also the destination of two hardened killers, the perverse soul horror and the deadly slugsy morant. When a coolly charismatic Englishman turns up, Viv, in terrible danger, is not just hopeful but fascinated because he is James Bond 007, the man she hopes will save her, the spy she hopes will love her. Uh, okay, now my first reaction to this book is... Ian Fleming is totally writing for like the entire book in the in the point of view of the girl and like I think that's pretty commendable especially with how he treats the subject matter. I don't know what were your thoughts about that as a woman who is a marine biologist and astrophysicist and aquatic engineer. <laughs> how, how did you feel? Well, about that? <laughs> I I loved it. I thought I did think it was a really commendable, interesting choice. Um, yeah, I I really had no idea, like, when I began, because I listened to this one on audiobook, um, and before I started playing it, I had no clue that it was going to be, I like, I saw that it was a woman narrator. Um, but by the way, I, uh, the version I heard was narrated by Rosamund Pike, which was awesome. Um, oh, if you're into audiobooks and you're thinking about checking this one out, uh, anybody listening, you should, you should get the Rosamund Pike version. Her voice, it was like listening to this velvety-voiced like sassy older sister it was amazing. I like stayed up late into the night listening to it because she yeah, just totally your, I captivated me. Post, but I didn't realize that was a the the spy who loved me. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought Fleming did a good job uh, handling because she's really just taken advantage of by two men. You know, her first two loves, and uh, the first one there's the awkward love scene in the cinema, and they get kicked out because they're trying to have sex in the theater. And so then they they end up doing it in the in a field, and the next day he like sends her the you know the next time she hears from him he's it's a letter saying that he's dumping her because his parents made him get engaged, and then she falls in love with her boss and he he kind of drops her too. So I like that he, you know he's showing that this is how women are often treated, and he's you know getting in this mindset and building this kind of well-rounded character who's about to meet this this. Uh, agent for the Brit with the British Secret Service and get swept off her feet, but yeah, um, I I did I sort of it was interesting that Viv was 
was the girl that he chose for us to become so intimate with her thoughts on, you know, um, there were some of the other, like even stronger females that he's written previously, like Vesper, um, Gayla Brand, Honey Ryder, Julie, Judy Havlock. Mm-hmm. I would have, I think I would have rather, like just as far as characters go, I would have rather had a story narrated by one of those. Yeah, just, I can see that. But, um, because this is such a non James Bond storyline. You know, it's just, a, it's a trailer park. It's two mobsters that he's, you know, the, these are pretty easy pickings for James Bond. And uh, so I could see it. If you had to choose one previous Bond girl to hear the story through her eyes, who would it be? Just as a little game. Um, I think probably Vesper. That's a good Vesper, one. Vesper or Honey Rider, I think, were. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. What about you? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Honey Child. Is that who you mean, Honey Rider? Yeah. 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 That's. I. I think that would be my pick. Yeah, she was. She was such an interesting character, and I did. Like, Viv was. Viv was good, and and I appreciated the links that Fleming went to to. You know, put us in that female perspective, but she just wasn't quite as engaging. Like, she wasn't quite as tough. She wasn't quite as, anything really as as honey or, or some of the others, but, um, and, and it did, it felt a little bit like, I, to me, it seemed like it was clearly still male fantasy disguised as a woman's thoughts because it was, she very much was that, you know, little girl. She had the, the vulnerability, the vulnerability, the damsel in distress. Um, but then five seconds later, she's like, <laughs> When she's looking in the mirror, when she's giving us her first or our first uh, physical description of her, and she's doing that thing where you turn your strengths into weaknesses. You know, she's like, "My mouth was too sexy, and my badonkadonk was too honky talk." You know, like it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah. all right," but. Um, <laughs> But she's flawed, yeah. but she's also perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, and yeah, it 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 kind of was. But um, I, I mean, I didn't have a problem. But then, but then, five seconds later, she's like afraid of the thunderstorm, and she even says, "She's like, I just wish someone would come and tell me that it would all be okay." And like, man up, lady. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned. But, we've mentioned before that a lot of the Bond girls have been like abused in their past and taken advantage of. And I'm thinking like that it was just the 1960s. That's how like like maybe that's how most women were, uh, which is horrible. But yeah. So I you know so it's like is it a part of that male fantasy or is it just a part of the you know the history of the book or is that I I, I think you could write an engaging female character without that trait you know. Yeah, yeah, and you're probably right. Like I think the time is definitely a a factor, certainly. But it just seemed these. these <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway. Well, did they? Sleep, the, did they sleep together in this book, Bond and Viv? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. For for some reason, I thought they hadn't, and and because at the end, the you know he basically writes her advice to like move on from the experience and not let it affect her too much, and then the police at the end reiterate that experience, but she kind of drives away with this still longing for the spy who loved her and. So. Yeah, she. They had some. Um, 
Uh, they they definitely had their share of sexy times. I think okay. it was like a you know a series of you know post traumatic <laughs> uh, comfort PT- comfort seeking PTSD and the S stands <laughs> for sex maybe uh, yeah uh, it it had just been a long time since I'd it'd been a while since I'd read this a few months back since we had done it so I couldn't re- I couldn't remember I went back and and reread parts of it but. Um, so I thought I had thought maybe oh he left that out of this this time but of course you can't have a James Bond book without without the the sex in it. So, oh no, <laughs> definitely not. I don't know. There, there's really not much more to say about the plot. I mean the, the mobs there are mobsters that come and want to burn down the place for the insurance money and she has mm-hmm. to die so that it can look like it was her fault and and Bond shows up just at the right time uh, by happenstance and and saves her but um you know and, and that was it and they they fall in love but i don't what else did you have anything else to say about the book in a, in a, other regards um i guess not really i think it was i can't decide if i like or dislike the fact that the the villains of this book were more simple i guess than they 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 don't have this whole you know they're they're not bent on world destruction or domination or anything like that. They just want the money, and it. Uh, I, I don't know. I get as I'm saying it. I, I think I like that about it. Well, it was kind of a repeat of Diamonds Are Forever. It was these, these mobsters yeah. that are really just simple, pragmatic gangsters that want the money and and uh, kind of pure evil. But I, you know, I do see that you're. We get used to these grandiose plans for world domination and to just have two mobsters that that Bond kind of takes out. And it's a shorter book than some of the others uh, by necessity of the plot line. But uh, it, even so, it's still kind of drug on. I'm like, James Bond could have, like, he had, like, five or ten opportunities throughout throughout the book to just really, you know, get the better of them. And, you know, I'm sure he's trained <laughs> in hand-to-hand combat and could have easily disarmed these two guys and, and killed them. But Fleming kind of draws it throughout the book. So I think that drug on a little for me in terms of suspending my disbelief that, that bond yeah. would have been able to get them out of the situation faster. So that's that's true. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So. Um, it it felt to me like this was sort of an ode to Bond. You know, it was like uh, for I don't know, probably the middle third, or I don't know when she's when when Bond hasn't even appeared yet. She's just sort of sitting in the armchair reminiscing about her. Mm-hmm loves of yesteryear and i'm like yeah. I, I almost forgot i was listening to a bond book i was like oh there's a nice story about this girl but um but at the end i was sort of thinking about it and i feel like they included those you know her love life history because it was comparing different types of men and comparing different types of experiences that you can have in romance you know she had that your puppy love like the 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 boy from the cinema and whatnot who wasn't really invested in her and then and she had kurt her boss who like you know was sort of eccentric and uber german and um just wasn't looking for anything serious and made her have that abortion in switzerland and um and then here comes bond and she's just blown away by his you know his the dangerous quality about him 
as well as the fact that he could be tender and smart, you know, she, she had just seemed like she was, this was opening her eyes to a totally different type of person. And even though the cop and a few other people along the way were like, don't go falling in love with him, yeah. Missy, you know, he was. Try and stop me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's like, he's, he's so complicated and dreamy. And so in that way, I felt like Fleming, through her musings on men, I feel like he was raising up Bond. the Bond yeah. character on and putting him on a pedestal like here he is ladies this is the kind of man you want to be with yeah so yeah so those those other two boyfriends become kind of foil characters against yeah which Bond now seems that much more impressive mm-hmm. I like it that's good yeah. Fleming trying to kind of boost up his character you know in between books because last time with Thunderball we had kind of said he had hit his stride but I feel like with this book you know it was almost kind of a he kind of pumped the brakes on a lot of the, the things he had been doing. And this was kind of a break in, in terms of that. I think they mentioned Thunderball operation Thunderball in this book. He, he was following up with it. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of interested for, for the next time for her Majesty's secret service to see what happens, but yeah. Anyway, cool. Do you want ready to take a break and then we can talk about the movie? Sure. Sounds All good. right. Let's hear an ad from our sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by the Fleming Brand Malevolent Moniker Smartphone App. Hi, James Bond Here and There listeners. I'm Patricia Jameson, head manager of the Fleming Brand IT department, and we've come up with a revolutionary new algorithm for creating the perfect villainous name to suit your unique qualifications. You just enter your name, date of birth, preferred mode of assassination, and physical deformations in your favorite color, and the Malevolent Moniker app will generate your new alias. Here, let me show you. Let's see. Name, Patricia Jameson. Birthday, 31289. Mode of assassination, poisoning. Physical deformations, none. Perfect, of course. And favorite color, purple. There. And now we hit generate and see what it says. Congratulations on generating your unique malevolent moniker. After processing your information, we've determined your new name is Jaws. Oh, that's weird. Doesn't really seem like the best answer. Let me try again with different information. And submit. Congratulations on generating your unique malevolent moniker. After processing your information, we've determined your new name is Jaws. I guess we still have a few kinks to work out. That's right. The Fleming brand malevolent moniker smartphone app is the cure for what ails you. Brand product for you. And now back to the program. Oh, man. <laughs> that's Always. a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> All right, and we are back after uh, after that. And uh, here's the synopsis of the movie. In a globe-trotting assignment that has him skiing off the edges of cliffs and driving a car deep underwater, British super spy James Bond, played by Roger Moore, unites with sexy Russian agent Anya Amasova to defeat megalomaniac shipping magnate Carl Stromberg, who is threatening to destroy New York City with nuclear weapons. There's a nuke in this one. Uh, Bond's most deadly adversary on the case is Stromberg's henchman, Jaws, a seven-foot giant with terrifying steel teeth. That's it. That's it. That's the synopsis. Are they terrifying though? I can't. I can't decide where I land with the character Jaws. Maybe we should start there. <laughs> Kelly, how do you feel about Jaws? I 
I'm always a fan when he makes an appearance because he kind of, but, but again, like I would not call his jaws terrifying. I think he (laughs) sort of provides some unintentional comic relief. Like, like in the scene when he was, um, (laughs) <laughs> when Bond turned on the giant magnet and made him uh-huh. smile really big and his face just got sucked up <laughs> onto the thing. Like, man, everything, I don't know why. I don't know if it's, it's, if it's because the teeth aren't, if they're so awkward looking and it, it reminds me like, you know, those hillbilly teeth you can buy in Halloween yeah, costume yeah, stores yeah. and stuff. That's what it is. It's like, it's like a retainer or something that he put in and it just doesn't fit right or something. But yeah. Every time, I don't know. I can't decide who thought that was a good idea. Like, we found this seven foot tall actor with with like this enormous stature, but he needs something else. What about silver <laughs> teeth? Like, and and it's as if he's invincible throughout the like he's in two of the movies and and just never dies. Yeah. Like he falls, the car falls off a cliff and into a house, and and there's fire shooting out of it, and then he just gets out of the house and dusts himself off and. Just keeps on trucking. I yep. mean, oh, anyway. he beats the shark. Yeah, that was the, that was the best the Jaws moment. <laughs> yeah, he drops the sweet, into a, sweet irony. <laughs> he dumps into a shark tank and and bites the shark and wins, which which wouldn't happen. But I love him. Uh, like I love him. He's uh, I know. he's an icon from my childhood. Like. Indeed. He's, he's something I look forward to. I hope we see more of his braces-faced lady love at some point. That'd be nice. Was she... Did we just decide this? Was Moonraker... Moonraker was before the movie... Uh, well, okay. The Moonraker, the book, was before this one chronologically, but was Correct. Was, was Moonraker... The movie takes place directly after this movie. Okay, so the girl was in... That's the one where his... Yep, yep. Or he... Yeah, and uh, they were oh, going to. Yeah. In fact, at the end of this movie, it said it would be Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and then they changed it because of because Star Wars came out and they decided to do James Bond in space. So, uh, and and this movie could not be more different from the book, you know, which which should be obvious if you just saw that trailer and uh, <laughs> and and heard our podcast, the first part of our podcast on the book, but. Uh, yeah, to me this seems like almost derivative of Dr. No because you have, you know, he was on his own island. He was like this recluse and you have Stromberg who like built a submergible island. He actually had webbed hands too, which was kind of cool. Um, but I don't know, do you like do you agree Kelly? This isn't really a a unique storyline. Yeah, I would agree. Um it- it, it's just, I just feel like these Roger Moore ones are all over the place. And uh, honestly, a lot of these, this isn't the first time I've, I've thought that about one of the Roger Moore, like, oh, this story, I feel like we've, we've done this already. Different time, different place, you know? They yeah, just deja sort of, vu. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, he came later in the franchise, so maybe that's not, I mean, of course it's not his fault, but they just sort of. I mean, why, why bother um, diverging from the content of the book if you're just going to do, if you're going to rehash something else anyway? Right. You know, why not? Yeah, they I don't came know, before. I, I mean, I see why they, it might not have been a successful movie to do, to adapt it um, straight from the book in this case, because it was just a lot of like mm-hmm. inner monologue and remembrances. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, 
Um, this one, at this, in terms of the Roger Moore movies we've watched so far, I think this is my favorite. Um, because we've done Moonraker, we've done Live and Let Die, and A View to a Kill. I think that those are the only three so far. And uh, I like this one. I I didn't like the actress who played Triple X, which was a little too obvious of a, of a of a code name. But I did like that they flipped the male female around with the the opening scene where it showed Triple X was you know you have the man rolling over with the woman in bed and oh it ends up being the woman who's the spy not the man which was kind of cool, mm-hmm. uh, and. I, I liked Roger Moore in this one. I thought I thought he was a little more Bondish, Bondish, uh, and partly because he was monogamous, kind of in this in this movie. Once he was interested in Triple uh, X, you know, she became the main love interest. It was almost it was like this love story, this guy who loved me, and they kind of fall in love throughout the film. So I kind of liked it for that for those reasons. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see that, and I really I liked the scene between them. When she finds out that he's the one who killed her, mm-hmm. her previous lover, um, that was a, I thought that was a really, uh, I don't know, it was it was a pretty powerful scene because powerful scene because Roger Moore, um, he was like, you know, we're both in this together, we're in the same business, you know, yeah. how, he we know the risks, he knew the risks, and but you know, yes, I did kill him, and he just was straightforward, and it wasn't, he didn't try to. Backstep goofy his or, way out of it or anything but yeah and and then he ends up prove he ends up proving his love for her at the end by by putting himself on the line and and breaking orders and you have that the the ship's captain that or the submarine captain that says you know this is coming from the top and come on we can't give you like it just be just 40 minutes then and you know and of course he saves her and and she forgives him at the end i like that scene too when you know you're wondering whether she's going to forgive him or not or kill him and and of course she forgives him mm-hmm and then you have the ending. I really, I liked that ending. It was, <laughs> it was cheesy, but I think it worked. Where you know we're keeping the British end up, and then and then you have like the army guys chanting, or I guess it would be navy in this case, the navy guys chanting. You know the lyrics from the from the title song, and yeah, I, I liked it. I, it was fun. You know, for a movie like this, I thought it was kind of the perfect ending. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would, I could see that. What. Uh... Speaking of, you kind of referenced the the title song. Um, How great is Carly Simon's "Nobody yes. Does Better"? This is one of my. This is probably one of my top three Bond themes. Would you agree? That's great. Um, I'd have to go back and and listen because I was I was just telling you earlier before we started recording that after watching these movies, I've just now started to appreciate the music in the opening um, because all all of these songs are really catchy. Um, I really like Man with the Golden Gun. I like Goldfinger title song, but this one's a great one too, and I love Carly Simon anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I'd, I'd have to go back and listen to it. And speaking of title sequences, I did not realize, ironically, I did not realize how pornographic these intro scenes are. <laughs> like, like I first watched these movies as like a kid. You'd think, like as a as like a t- young teen boy, you'd think I would have noticed that. But like going back and watching, I'm like this is straight up nudity. Like women <laughs> jumping on trampolines. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did this get through? I I like every time I'm watching a new movie, I'm like, seriously, this is like much worse than I ever realized. Which I don't know how I missed the boat on that, but I'm now 31 years old and have finally realized that that. Uh, the James Bond movies feature nudity in the opening scenes, but what? What? Uh, so anyway, what? Uh, what was your favorite 
Roger Mooreism. Your favorite one-liner from this one? From this movie? Oh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe, maybe when uh, when the sexy hotel attendant comes in and says, "I have a message for you," and he says, "I think you've delivered it," you know, before she even gives him the paper. That one, <laughs> yeah. for some reason, it just sticks out in my mind. That that was a good one. Quick on his feet. What about you? I, the one where um, he first arrives to Egypt and the the sheik or i forget who what his relevance was to the story at the time he was kind of a minor player but he was like trying to convince bond to stay one more night and offering him all these women to you know spend time with and finally he's like no 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 and then this one comes out and she's like holding a rose and you know, oh yeah, very yeah scantily yeah. clad and he's like well when one is in egypt one should delve deeply into its treasures <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> that's um, you know like my mom always used to say right yeah. of course uh that was pr- i i thought of you when i heard that i was like i wonder what kelly's gonna think about this line that was a pretty great one i i did like all of the egyptian uh scenery and all of the footage from egypt uh, and we were talking about one-liners he he has that one-liner about uh egyptian builders when uh the the yeah. ruins kind of fall on jaws and they think they have finally killed them but of course they haven't uh and when they shot in Egypt, there was actually like a guy that went around with them, an Egyptian official who was there to make sure that they didn't say anything offensive and they didn't portray Egyptians in a bad light. So he actually, Roger Moore actually mouthed that line and they dubbed it in later so that he wouldn't hear it. And then when they showed it to Egyptian audiences, they all laughed and, and liked it. But it's just a little interesting oh, wow. tidbit about one-liners in Egypt but I had forgotten how striking a lot of the Egyptian ruins are I've never been but I didn't you know I don't realize how how many there are and they show a lot of different scenes and they're like you know three stories high of just these stone walls with uh with the hieroglyphs in them and stuff it's pretty incredible yeah oh absolutely and then you have jaws running around and then trying to kill guys with information which almost <laughs> almost ruins it to an extent but <laughs> really but it both ruins and enhances it, his presence. So, um, for for me, I wrote, you know, this the movie, the fantasy of this movie is not convinc- was not convincing to me. Like, I didn't feel like they were really in love. I didn't feel like she was really an, uh, a secret agent, that the actress wasn't quite pulling it off, and... You know, there are so many different things happening in different places. And a lot of a lot of the stuff in the Bond movies is like the opposite of what would really happen in an espionage situation. Like, he always uses his name. Uh, you, you know, it, just all these sorts of things that I'm like, this would never happen in, in, real, in real espionage. Which I guess is not saying anything new, but just sometimes in terms of of uh getting into the fantasy of it 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 really takes me out of it because some of these things are so over the top like unrealistic oh for instance the uh they have the headquarters in in the egyptian ruins right when when bond shows up they're like q's in there doing all these gadgets and explosions in these egyptian hieroglyphs i'm like those are priceless like uh a sites where all of these uh relics are held and they're sitting there with like exploding pin devices and, and things like that kind of ridiculous yeah that yeah i know that that was kind of funny but you know commitment to realism is not terribly strong in these movies but that's okay yeah. that's not why people love them that's true that's true and this is one of like at the time it was one of the highest grossing franchises of all time it was a huge oh, money yeah. maker so extremely popular and uh, yeah. still is today of course so so you can't quite hold it against them but 
It's true. All right. So if you okay, if you had to grade book and movie letter grades A through F, what would you give each of these? That's good because I don't know, and I don't know which one I would even choose for the better one. I'd say okay, the book I'd say A through F. I'd say a B minus, and then for the movie, I'd say B plus. What about you? I w- I think I'd agree on the book B minus, um, maybe a regular B, and I I would go I'd go C on the movie. C on the movie. So you think movie? Mm-hmm. You, I say movies. I would rather watch this movie again than read the book. But you say the opposite. Yes, I would. All right. And I don't know how much of that was due to the lovely narration, but she just really. I'll have to check that it. out. Yeah, yeah. You should. I don't listen to a ton of audiobooks, but then, you know. When I do, like I've I've heard really good ones, really good narrators, and really, you know, so-so narrators, and it's it's kind of it's cool. Like what, you don't realize it, but when you hear a really good one, it just totally oh, transports yeah. you into the material. So I just that happened. I just got sucked into this story where I where may, maybe I wouldn't have if I would have just read it. I don't know, but yeah, so yeah. The be. narrator makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So and we've added a new nuke episode, a new nuke movie. Uh, there yes. was in fact nukes on this one, so I think this is our fourth. Uh, book movies so far. If if either one of them has a nuke, we'll count it. So okay, and we'll keep our our listeners informed because I know they want to know how many out of all of these have nukes. So yes, good times. All right, well, that's it for now. But James Bond here and there will return in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And you can check us out at uh, Here There series on Twitter. And at it's just awesome.com. <laughs>